From KMXT and Kodiak, it's the Alaska Fisheries Report. I'm Terry Haynes. The Alaska Fisheries Report is brought to you in part by Alaska Boats and Permits, Marine Broker for Vessels, Permits, and IFQs. For more information, call 1-907-235-4966 or online at alaskaboat.com. The North Pacific Fishery Management Council just wrapped up a long virtual meeting. Among the items on the agenda was trawl sablefish overages, in which they were presented a discussion paper that examined possible management tools to address the increased incidental take of juvenile sablefish, or black cod, in Alaska's trawl fisheries. Three enormous year classes of sablefish, 2014, 2016, and 2017, are giving hope to participants of the directed fishery, which had been on a steady decline from the mid-2000s to about 2015. But there are still plenty of uncertainties. Older sablefish have been disappearing from the spawning biomass, and no one knows how environmental conditions will affect the year classes as they mature. And juvenile sablefish, which are pelagic and compete for food with midwater herring and pollock, have been caught in trawl fisheries like Bering Sea pollock in amounts above those they are able to legally retain. Although they are not penalized for catching too many sablefish, they are required to dump them at sea. In 2020, that catch was 4,468 tons, which was 479.9% over their quota. That required them to discard 3,537 tons of young black cod. The Alaska Fisheries Report is brought to you in part by the Alaska Marine Safety Education Association, providing U.S. Coast Guard-accepted, hands-on safety training for all of Alaska's fishermen and their families. A-M-S-E-A at amc.org or 907-747-3287. In their discussion paper, staff presented council with a list of actions open to them. They included fishery closures at specific times or areas to avoid aggregations of non-target fish, reducing allocations to target species with high sablefish bycatch, and lowering the maximum retainable amount, or MRA, for sablefish. The problem with time or area closures, to quote the paper, is that time and area closures may be more effective when the target of concern is defined in either area or time. The problem is juvenile sablefish seem to be everywhere all the time right now, rendering targeted closures moot. With regard to reducing allocations to target species to reduce the bycatch, the Fisheries Management Council is bound by the Magnuson-Stevens Act to balance conservation with optimum yield. And the influx of the three robust year classes to a conservatively managed stock mean that sablefish are not considered to be at risk, so the conservation imperative is not high. Optimum yield for Bering Sea pollock, which is perhaps the biggest, most valuable, and sustainable fishery in the world, is a high priority. To curtail optimum yield to aid a fishery that is not considered threatened goes against the grain of MSA's national standards. 
As for lowering the MRA, or the amount of non-target sablefish that can be legally retained, that doesn't lower the amount that's caught. It just increases the amount thrown overboard. In the end, after hours of presentation, testimony, and deliberations, the North Pacific Fisheries Management Council decided to take no action. But to be fair, nobody seemed to be happy about it. Here is Dr. Jim Balsiger. I agree with the analysis that's been done. I think that there, you know, the regulations that are set forward and the ways we council has decided to deal with issues like this is being followed. So there's no mistake there. But I also think that the council should recognize that a system that allows that much fish to be thrown away by regulation, it doesn't allow it, it must be thrown away by regulation, deserves a little greater introspection, I believe. You know, this council's famous for being the blueprint by which the Magnuson Act was reauthorized, perhaps initially put together, and, and uh, it wasn't because we weren't using the fish that we were catching. Uh, you know, I, I think that the paper did look at all of the uh, commonly accepted fixes, and none of them worked. It didn't look at things like, well, maybe it's time to let the trawlers keep disabled fish as one bookend. You know, the other bookend, I guess, is, well, when you get that, you need to stop fishing. Uh, so, so we didn't really explore all possible options. So I'm going to support the motion, but I think the council needs to spend some time uh, thinking, is this, this, is this the way we really want to manage these fisheries? And you have an extraordinary year class following a failed year class in a different species just a couple of years ago. Isn't there some way we can prepare ourselves to be, deal with those better in the future? And if I had an idea, I'd tell you what it is, but I don't. But I, I think the council and its uh, collective bodies are some of the smartest fish management people in the world, and we should be able to think of something. Councilmember Bill Twight agreed that the issue had shown the need for the council to take a deeper look at their system. The bones of our management framework are still very solid and very sound, and, and uh, those who are sort of intimating otherwise, I, I would definitely disagree with. Um, but this is an issue that has, has exposed some areas where I think we, we can and should be making improvements, both in terms of the tools that require discarding, but also when we're dealing with sudden increase in a, in a sudden and very welcome increase in a large age class, it, it's clear that our system doesn't handle that well at this point, and we can put some more thought into that also. Support for the Alaska Fisheries Report comes from Madsen, reliably delivering for Kodiak since 1964. Among the complicating factors is that trawlers are already tasked with avoiding more challenged species like Chinook salmon. There are fears that trying to avoid sablefish might mean catching more kings. Here's Council Member Andy Mesereau. This is a difficult issue. Wasting those fish is inexcusable, but we don't have a mechanism to deal with it at the moment. And if one council member, if I was given the choice of whether we want to save Chinook over sablefish at the current levels of abundance, I think that the council's policy at this point, and my feelings personally, is we need to do everything we can to get as many Chinook salmon back into Western Alaska streams for uh, you know, Alaskan tribes and subsistence users, and that is a higher biological priority if we have to choose, and the notion that we should close one area and force the fleet into another area where they'll have higher 
Chinook and counter rates is an unacceptable trade-off with the tools that we have. And I think we should take a look at some of these other broader issues, maybe after we resolve some of these ones that are in front of us today to try to figure out a better way to do this. But for right now, we don't have the tools in front of us, and uh, unfortunately, uh, we're not going to be able to do much about this at the moment. So I support Mr. Jensen's motion, and I appreciate it coming from him, who you know, resides in Petersburg, where there's a large number of fixed-gear fishermen that depend on sablefish. It's a difficult thing to do that, and so I appreciate him making the motion. And uh, unfortunately, this is one that I'll support but not be happy about the outcome. And there were questions about whether the conservative level set for the directed fisheries total allowable catch was a factor in creating unrealistically low levels for bycatch. Here's Council Member Cora Campbell. We need to recognize as a council that we set tasks low for sablefish. We set ABC well below max ABC. And to some extent, we've created uh, an artificial shortage by the way that we do apportionment that's a, that's, that is creating these overages, so, or at least contributing to them. And so some of the decisions that we've made about freezing apportionments um, or, or setting tasks may be contributing to, to these overages. And some of those choices were made to provide stability to the directed hook and line fishery, and that's not a bad thing, but it, it has to be recognized as a contributing factor. Some of the most compelling testimony I heard today was from Mr. Kwachka, who reminded us that uh, the struggles that we have with Chinook bycatch late in the year, uh, sablefish bycatch in the bee season are a result of trying to push directed fishery catch around to protect stellar sea lions, all of which is based on a totally unproven theory about a localized depletion. And so, in my opinion, um, if the agency believes that we should be going further and thinking more creatively, perhaps it's time to think more creatively about whether these stellar sea lion regulations are causing more harm than good. Support for the Alaska Fisheries Report is provided by the Stosh and Claudia Anderson Fund, which recognizes the importance of Alaska's sustainable fisheries to the state's economy. In the end, Councilmember Kenny Down reminded us all that they did have one tool in the toolbox, a hammer. Was it that we were given no tool in this action? Yeah, the, the, the document clearly identified a tool that we do have. The tool that we do have is to reduce the pollock tack. That's one, uh, uh, or to look at the tack of other species where there's stable fish bycatch. That's a tool that we do have. We look at that every year. And um, when, when I was looking at the pollock tack in 2020, I, I found that um, uh, on the 9th of May, the pollock fishery exceeded their uh, their um, sector allocation for cod, and so all and they had 500 and uh, 695,000 tons of pollock remaining. So if we intended to set the tack at a level that would keep the pollock industry within their cod allocation, uh, they would have left 695,000 metric tons of pollock on the table, and nobody wants to go there. And I'm not suggesting that we that we do. These are that that would be way too extreme. And you know the the pollock industries the, the kind of the thing that I think supports uh, all all fisheries you know and when I say that I, I mean that 
in the pollock fishery, you know, the big cold storages and the big trampers that are out there hauling our freight and giving us good freight rates, but they're not there for the pot fleet. You know, these guys are there because of the pollock industry. That's what works all. But I think that, that when we look at that kind of thing, on July 4th in 2020, the pollock fishery exceeded their sable fish allocation, and they still had 598,000 metric tons of pollock left to go, and they were already over their sable fish allocation. If the pollock industry is interested in continuing this average 1.3 million tons of pollock from the 2 million metric ton cap, I think it's beholden on them. I think it's, it's obligation that they have to come to the council before we set that cap and say, here's our plan for avoiding. And then we can look at how those plans uh, worked out. If their plan is, we're not going to be able to do anything, we just expect the, that we're going to be uh, 300 or 500 percent over our sablefish allocation because of these circumstances, then that's what they would report to us. And then we would at least know in advance that we are expecting this, that that's a likely outcome of setting the pollock tack at these levels. I would like to see some action from industry on, our, on their reaction to our taking no action on this. Support for the Alaska Fisheries Report comes from the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute, working to raise the value of our seafood harvests for the benefit of all Alaskans, on the web at alaskaseafood.org.